What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? What is going on? What is the latest and greatest? How's everybody doing out there? Hope everybody's feeling well. That's right. It's another Monday. The clocks have turned up. I'm sure everybody's excited about that as we have longer days and spring is right around the corner. And with that being said, if you've come to listen to everything that's happening in the latest and greatest of the world of sports, you've come to the right place as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me for now 117 episodes, I welcome you guys back. Again, it's a Monday, March the 9th in the year of our Lord 2020. The J Reels What's the Deal segment, something that I like to discuss right before we begin as we take a little bit of the landscape of what to expect over the course of the next hour, and it is as follows. The NFL, the owners may be looking for a mulligan when it comes to the CBA, which is looking to be approved by 11.59 p.m. this coming Thursday as all the players will vote and see whether or not we're going to have 17 games. Well, there's been some whispers about the owners, or at least some of them, wanting to have an 18-game schedule. Well, if that was the case, why didn't they do that? You'll get my take on that later on. All the college basketball, as we're now six days away from Selection Sunday, and of course the tournament, 10 days from today, well, technically eight with the two playing games on the Tuesday nights, but to me those don't really count. But you know what I'm saying. We'll get you ready for March Madness and what to expect here as we've now entered Conference Championship Week. Will Major League Baseball ever come down on the Red Sox here as far as their investigation is concerned dating back to 2018? We're two and a half weeks away from the start of the season and it doesn't seem to be any resolution in sight. I know Major League Baseball does not want to drag this into opening week, which would be a disgrace. Two cents on that, as well as everything that's happening on the ice. A little XFL, we'll get into all that. But we're going to start off here with the association and everything that had happened over the last 60, 72 hours or so, whether it be off the court and what happened in Brooklyn with the Nets firing their coach, or even more so on the court when you look at what's happened in Los Angeles from both sides, whether it's the Lakers or the Clippers. But right now it's all about the Lakers because all the talk shows this morning into the afternoon and the evening, everybody's going to beat to death the narrative of two things. One, who are the NBA's best team? Is that the Lakers? And two, is LeBron James now the MVP of the league over Giannis Antetokounmpo? Now, it's hard to argue when you look back Friday night with the way the Lakers and the Bucks, which was one of those matchups that everybody looks forward to early in the year. As you well know, the Bucks beat the Lakers in a close game, <clears throat> which ended up being close late. And the Bucks were able to prevail. This was a couple months ago. And then when you have the Friday night matchup with the two Giants, not only in the sport, but of course throughout the league, where people are looking at Giannis as already being a back-to-back MVP, regular season winner, obviously him winning it last year, and then LeBron at age 35 with all the minutes that he's logged and everything that the Lakers have done this year and even having to fight off the tragedy of Kobe Bryant has certainly raised this game to a level that we have rarely seen in the National Basketball Association. But when the narrative today is going to be all about, well, now the Lakers are the best team. Look what happened over the weekend. Them beating the Bucks Friday night and, of course, the Clippers yesterday. In a game that was close in the first half, but then they pulled away. And to me, I didn't have any doubt that the Lakers were in any danger as the game progressed into the third and, obviously, fourth quarter. But I'm just tired of 65 or whatever how many games we're in, 62, 63 games into the season, that everybody wants to champion the Lakers is the best team. And we get that there has to be a storyline. We get that there has to be some sort of discussion about, well, look what had taken place. We see the way the Lakers have responded here in the last few weeks, especially after the Kobe Bryant passing, and a lot of people in L.A. were just mourning, and I'm sure they're still mourning to this day. And the Lakers, who had these two stretches during the year where they had lost four in a row, I believe in early January. It was actually during that trip when they went to Milwaukee. That was the last game of a road trip, and I believe they came home and had a, another loss before they got back on the beam. And then right after Kobe Bryant's passing where they were in a slumber, it was shown that night where they lost to the Portland Trailblazers, their first game back after the said tragedy. And now the Lakers have looked like they've put it into overdrive to the point where... I'm sure they looked at the calendar, they looked at the Bucks coming into their building, and yesterday's game, although it was a road game, but you could pretty much look at that as a Laker home game, considering the disparity of the way the crowd was reacting when you watched how the Laker fans, and we all know it's a Laker town, 
So the Clippers, despite the fact that they've had a lot of success this year, and even over the last pretty much decade, I mean, think about that. The Clippers have had more success than the Lakers over the last six, seven years. And remember, a lot of that was, of course, Blake Griffin, Chris Paul, Lob City, etc. Not that that amounted to anything because they couldn't even get to a conference final. But they have had more success in L.A. than the Lakers have. But even then, the Lakers could have had 10 straight losing seasons. And they hadn't made the playoffs in the last six up until this year. But as we all know, it is a Laker town by far when it comes to all the major sports there. Bigger than the Dodgers, bigger than the Rams, USC football, go down the line. So the Lakers, despite the fact that they're playing well, 49-13, cruise control in the West, I am not going to sit here today, despite what they've done over the weekend, to think that they right now they're going to be the NBA champion for 2019-2020. I mean, we've seen this story time and time again. I mean, just look at some of the other major sports. And I get it's tough to compare NBA to the NFL to the NHL to Major League Baseball because generally the best team in basketball, or at least the two best teams when you're looking at the East and West, they usually represent in the NBA Finals as two of the best teams in the league. It's very rare that you get the one team that makes it to a final. For instance, Indiana is not going to be in the NBA Finals this year. The Utah Jazz will not be in the NBA Finals this year. Dallas Mavericks. I go down the list. The Brooklyn Nets. Are the Miami Heat going to make the NBA Finals? No. And we get in the other sports. Everybody jammed the Baltimore Ravens down their throats. And granted, they had the MVP of the league, Lamar Jackson. And they won 12 straight games going into the postseason. And everybody thought, well, it's going to be Baltimore in the Super Bowl. Just write it in. And what happened to them? Or last year, everybody looked at the... Houston Astros, the New York Yankees coming out of the American League, and everybody thought it was a foregone conclusion that the L.A. Dodgers were going to represent the National League. Well, how did that turn out? Who was your World Series champion last year? And we could go down the list of so many times at this juncture of a season that people want to proclaim or just declare that, well, with the way the Lakers are playing and they beat the current MVP in Giannis Antetokounmpo and they also beat the Clippers – just hand over the Lawrence O'Brien trophy, and away we go. Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. Now, will the Lakers be one of the last two teams standing when it comes to fighting for the Lawrence O'Brien trophy? It's quite possible. Will they be the last team standing to raise the trophy over their heads come mid to late June? That's also quite possible. But last I checked, and at the top of the program, it's March 9th. And despite their exploits over the weekend and LeBron moving up the MVP charts, we cannot automatically assume that this is going to be that the LA Lakers are already NBA champion of this 2019-2020 season. So we need to pump the brakes on that. I get that that's what everybody's going to talk about today. The Stephen A. Smiths of the world, the Michael Wilbons, the you, you name it, Shannon Sharp, Skip Bayless, everybody's going to talk about that all day. And it's going to be quite sickening, and I'm not going to be the guy to talk about it. And I get that people say, come on, Jay Reels, this is what everybody wants to discuss. We want to get your take on that. Call me back in June. Because let's just say for argument's sake, and it's probably not going to happen, but I picked early on in the year the NBA final was going to be the Denver Nuggets. That's right. I did say Denver Nuggets versus the Milwaukee Bucks. And let's just say they're getting ready to tip the ball, whether it be that first Thursday in June, which usually that's when the NBA finals start. And the game is going to be in Milwaukee, game one. And they tip the ball. Is anybody going to think about March 9th and everybody across America talking about how the LA Lakers were going to be in the NBA Finals? Or how they were the best team, but it was an automatic that they were going to show up and not even play in the Western Conference to just give them the rights to play in an NBA Final? Absolutely not. And I get that JaVale McGee is going to come out today and say the Lakers are the best team in the NBA. Rightfully so. What is he going to say? Oh, we're not the best team? We know they have the two of the top five players in the league. We get it. The Lakers, this is what they've all season. We've been waiting for this to happen. We've looked to this trade with Anthony Davis coming to L.A. and the duo of LeBron and A.D. being this force in the Western Conference to the point where a lot of people think that they're going back to an NBA final for the first time will be in 10 years. And right, but again, can we wait till at least the playoffs start before we start talking about, oh, this is the best team, 
just pencil them in. It's an automatic, et cetera, et cetera. Look what they did to the Clippers. Now, we get that the Clippers have won two of the three games this year. We're still one more to go there on April the 9th. But let's just pipe down. Let's relax. And I get that's not the take that a lot of people want to hear today. They probably want me to either bash the Lakers or think, oh, they're not going to make it to the finals. Or, yes, they're good enough, but they're not going to win. Or just say, well, hey, just hand them the trophy right now. Uh, well, what good is that going to be? My credibility goes out the window if I'm going to say that. And then let's say they lose in a conference final to the Clippers. And then the other thing is about the MVP. There's still 18 games to go here, people. Why is it that everybody's going to automatically think that LeBron should be handed the MVP as it's almost a lifetime achievement award, considering he hasn't won one in quite some time? And that even though Giannis won last year, and that he's still young and obviously on the rise, and that he probably has several years to win many, many more, that this is going to be the year. Let's hand it over to LeBron James. Uh, we still have a, less than a quarter of a season to go. Let's just not hand everything over to the Laker franchise and to the top And listen, I love LeBron. If you listen to my podcast going back a couple years ago after they won Game 7 in Boston, I did an emergency podcast that LeBron James belongs on the NBA Mount Rushmore. I said that. So I got nothing against him. Can't stand the Lakers, but none against LeBron. But as of right now, is he in the discussion for the MVP? Without question. Should he be the MVP? I don't think he should. Because at least he has another guy on his team that is an all-world NBA player. What does Giannis have on his team? Who's the one guy that you could say, other than Giannis on the Bucks, that's going to be the guy that's going to take a big shot or a guy that you know is going to be reliable or one you could trust? Chris Middleton? Eric Bledsoe? Brooke Lopez? I don't think so. LeBron has a safety net and a one Anthony Davis. And he does have very good role players around him who certainly have some championship medal, whether it's a Rajon Rondo or Danny Green, which is certainly going to help get them to an NBA final if that's the way the basketball gods have it mapped out for him. But at the same time, when you look at what Milwaukee has, now granted, they've had a phenomenal season. 53-11, and 11, now they lost in Phoenix yesterday, which is not good considering that Giannis, who tweaked his knee in the game against the Lakers, is going to be on the shelf again tonight in Denver. There goes my NBA final prediction from back in October. But the MVP race, whether you want to throw LeBron as being the front runner right now, I'll go right ahead. At the end of the day, what does it mean? And this is my platform to discuss all these things. And I know a million other people throughout the country are going to say everything about this. This is going to be the top storyline today. Are the Lakers the best team in the NBA? Is LeBron James now the MVP of the league? And that's fine. And of course, I talk about it and I bring it up. I have to because of what's going on in the NBA. But at the same time, I'm not ready to declare that, oh, you just got to hand over the MVP trophy. Or you know what? The Lakers, they are going to run rough shot throughout the rest of this regular season. Don't even play the postseason. Just put them right there in the NBA final. That's it. And to me, that's, come on. And a lot of people out there, you know, they're going to wave the purple and gold pom-poms for not only a one LeBron James, for the LA Lakers, because now they're back after six years of not being in the postseason, and they clinched their playoff spot early in the week. To me, everybody just needs to take a big, deep breath, exhale, and like Aaron Rodgers once said, relax. But you got to give it up to the Lakers. They've certainly played well, performed well. They're going to cruise to this number one seed. Same for the Bucks, for that matter. And we talked about it time and time again. And the one thing about the Lakers here as we get down the stretch, once they clinch the one seed, and this could apply the same for the Bucks, you know there's going to be minutes restrictions for their top best players because there's no way that they are going to be in a situation where they're going to play 35, 40 minutes. As it is, Giannis barely plays 30 minutes a game. But you get my drift where once they have everything wrapped up, and know that home court is in their back pockets. Now, I don't know about best record overall. Does it really matter if LeBron and company, if they're a game or two behind, what about 10 games to go? Are they going to go pedal to the metal just to get the best record in the NBA so they could have the overall postseason home court? Because right now they are two games behind the Bucks. 
as far as best record in the league is concerned. But I certainly, to me, I would think LeBron would say, it doesn't matter. They could play Milwaukee on the moon. And I'm sure they'll still be fine. doesn't matter where they play or who has the home court. All right, now to the other big news over the weekend was what happened in Brooklyn. And I get that there's a lot of people out there that are going to talk about this to say, hey, who cares about the Brooklyn Nets? They're 29 and 34. They're going nowhere. They didn't have their best player perform all year and a one Kevin Durant. And then obviously Kyrie Irving has the shoulder surgery where he's pretty much put out the pasture for this season. And with Kenny Atkinson, he was a guy that came in and knew that he was pretty much starting at ground zero. We all heard about it throughout this offseason, about how the culture of the Nets was pretty much at the top of the league, how the coach got a lot out of his players, in particular a guy like Harris LeVert, or even Spencer Dinwiddie for that matter, guys that were nowhere near on the basketball map, and they've come to be borderline all-stars. A guy like Jared Allen, who was picked late in the first round a few years back, and he's become a not even just a serviceable player, but a guy that certainly could play defense and rebound, which kind of gets unnoticed in this league only because it's such a perimeter game and three-point shooting that the big man, although they're pretty much a thing of the past, but it does account for something when you have a guy that's seven foot that can protect the rim and also get the big offensive rebound at times. When I heard of this news, I was very surprised, obviously not knowing the inner workings of what's going on there. We didn't hear any rumblings of players being disgruntled or certainly giving a side eye to their coach. Now you look at the past week, they won an improbable game on Tuesday against the Celtics where they were down 21 points in the second half and they came back and won in overtime to where they followed that up with a game at home against the Memphis Grizzlies to the tune of getting blown up by 30-something points. Now that's a game that you could target and say, that was ugly. How does Atkinson survive something like that? And I could see if both Kyrie and Kevin Durant were healthy and on the team playing, that would be alarming. But that wasn't the case. And yes, is that a bad loss at home against a team that is an eighth seed right now in the Western Conference? Absolutely. But then they follow that up with a 19-point win at home against the Spurs. And we all know the Spurs are or show their old selves, but still. But it's not as if they had to sweat, scratch, claw, and barely win a game against a team that is certainly on the outside looking in as far as the postseason is concerned. And then Saturday morning when the word comes down that Atkinson was fired, I mean, the first thing I thought of was, all right, what player or players were involved of this firing? Now, at first, there was the whole, quote-unquote, mutually parting of the ways, which is the safest way to put it. But when you hear Sean Marks in his press conference there Saturday morning saying that they needed another voice, And he said that several times. It wasn't as if it was a thing where he said just they needed another voice one time. It was repeatedly. And it just made you think that, A, was Sean Marks really prepared for this press conference? Granted, I'm sure when the news came down, maybe after the game Friday night, him talking with the owner, Joseph Sy, who's a new owner, by the way, maybe once he woke up that morning, he just put something together, and then when the media got after him, what could he say? He pretty much used that as his fallback to answer anything in reference to the fallen head coach. And then you had a report there from Stephen Bondi, who is a writer of the Daily News here in New York, where he had reported that there were players approached by the owner, that he came down and talked to, if not every player, but a majority of the players to find out how the coach was doing, and a lot of those returns were not favorable. So therefore, he had his fingerprints on this to a certain degree. Now, will we know this for sure? I guess we have to pin the owner down to get a to get his thoughts and ideas in reference to this story that came out. But that's the one thing. Who knows if Joseph Sy had any influence on this? Sean Marks, who came in with Kenny Atkinson and even said that for four years, the ups, the downs, we pretty much grew into this these positions together. It was a tough decision. Of course, he's going to say all the right things. But at the same time, you got to wonder, with a team that's going nowhere this year, and they're going to make the playoffs, they're either going to be a 7th or 8th seed, and they're probably going to make, if they win one game, especially if they're an 8th seed, they're probably going to get swept by the Bucks. But even if they were to win a game, which would be a moral victory, we all know that this team 
wasn't going to make a push that everybody thought at the beginning of the year, even without Kevin Durant, that they could possibly win a round, maybe even take that second round deep into a six or seven game series. Everybody knows that there is no way that the Nets were going to make any noise in this postseason. So my thing is, is why did they fire the coach now? What was the point? Even if the players in the room weren't saying the most flattering things about the head coach, that they looked at Atkinson as maybe, hey, he's benching guys late in games. You know, Spencer Dinwiddie in the game against the Celtics certainly didn't get any burn down the stretch of the game. We all know that was Karis LeVert's game where he had 51 points and was the hero and the star of that game. But at the same time, you know, they won the game. I don't think he's benching these guys on spite. I don't think he's putting these guys on ice because he feels like, ah, I got a vendetta against them or, you know what, I don't even need to deal with this player at this time. He's going to have to feel my wrath or whatever it is. I mean, please. You know, the coach, I'm sure with everything that he's done here over these four years, and, of course, with any coach out there, you could certainly shake your head or scratch your head at some of the moves that they've made, not calling a timeout in a certain point in the game or leaving your key guys on the bench as he did last year with D'Angelo Russell down in Houston in a game which they actually came back and won where D'Angelo Russell was cheerleader number one on the bench. So it does make you question whether or not if there were some players, a player, certain players, and I don't want to put this all on Kyrie because he has never been known as a coach killer, but at the same time, that was the first thing I thought about over the weekend to think that, wait a minute, is he involved in some way, shape, or form? You can't even think Kevin Durant because he hasn't even suited up this year. That's not to say he doesn't have any power or any influence in that locker room. I get that, but geez. You know, is Durant going to have blood on his fingerprints at the end of the day when it's all is said and done? Now, your coach is currently Jacques Vaughn, who is in the interim. And as weird as this may sound, I actually have a theory. And it makes you wonder whether it's from the owner or maybe the GM to a certain degree. Now, the owner just got here. So I don't think he's going to take the tact of the previous owner and the one Mikhail Prokhorov where he wanted to take the town over. He wanted to be the darling when it came to basketball here in this town. And we all know as terrible as the Knicks have been, they are still front and center the team in New York. I'm sorry. I mean, Brooklyn could probably win three straight NBA finals and that still won't be the case. Because the Knicks are embedded when it comes to their fan base, when it comes to, uh, just ask Spike Lee. But then again, he's probably the wrong, wrong person to ask because of what happened last week and that whole fiasco at the Garden. But that's a whole other story. But the one theory I do have is that I wonder if the Nets thought that if they had an opportunity to get a coach, and we understand that Jacques Vaughn is in the interim, so I don't think they're looking for a coach, but I wouldn't be surprised if there are whispers between the GM and the owner that if they have their sights set on a particular guy, what guy that is, I don't know. But even with some of the rumors, even surrounding the Knicks, and maybe even Mark Jackson being a coach, do you kind of wonder if the Nets, knowing that once the regular season ends, and even though they're going to have a quick exit in the postseason, but maybe they're trying to get a just a leg up on the Knicks by getting their next coach, if they were able to get that guy whomever that person may be, and let's say if it is Mark Jackson, to just to get that head start knowing that they could say, Jacques is our interim, but we certainly have our eyes on this guy, and we could only hope to put that person on ice, so to speak, between whenever those dates are, April 18th and the 28th, to then hire their guy come the end of April or let's say sometime in early May some sweetheart handshake deal to say we want you as the next coach, but please, let us get through this postseason. We're probably going to be swept or in five and then have it out to where the press conference will be at the Barclays with the one, whomever it may be. And I just threw Mark Jackson's name out there because will the Knicks, will that be the guy that will take over for Mike Miller next year? Because you would think with full intents and purposes with everything that happened at the Garden last week with Leon Rose and not even meeting the media, him coming out with the press statement to say the Knicks were going to do whatever it takes. It's an honor to be part of this franchise, so on and so forth, and I'm paraphrasing, of course. But the thing is is that the Nets always being the little brother and having that little brother syndrome 
because of this firing, will they start to get the ball rolling to see where that next hire is or get that next hire knowing that they want to try to steal him from the Knicks to grab the headlines? Just a theory. I don't have any reports on that. I don't have an insider, whatever. This is just me being a podcast host from afar, just trying to assess this whole thing. Because with 18 or 20 games to go, why did they all of a sudden fire Kenny Atkinson? And not only that, but to the degree where they're not going to go anywhere this year. Even if they won the first round, which is not going to happen. But why would they, I mean, why now? So it just makes you think that if you kind of look ahead to say, well, maybe they have somebody in mind, or maybe they have people in mind, or maybe they know because the Knicks are going to, maybe the Knicks are going to hire somebody that maybe they have an interest in. So they could somehow, some way sneak underneath the rug and just pop out like a cat, ready to pounce on that treat or another cat or whatever it may be. So just something to keep an eye on. You never know how this is all going to unfold because I thought it was a little fishy to begin with. And then now, I'm sure as it's going to come out from the weeks and into the spring, and maybe even into the summer for that matter, of uh, what really went on in Brooklyn, whether it was between the players and the former coach or the owner, I'm sure there's going to be a lot to be said here between now and then. All right, a couple of quickies with the league. I know I talked a little bit about the Leon Rose thing, which I thought was a joke. I mean, why couldn't he meet the press? Why couldn't he sit there as being the president or VP of operations at the Garden for the Knicks? Uh, I mean, the Knicks, they just... They wreck a lottery ticket. I mean, that's just how it is. So we'll see if Leon Rose could bring in any of his former clients. Remember, he was a former agent, so we have another Brody Van Wagenen in town. We'll see how that uh, shakes down as the Knicks are certainly playing out the string. And they'll play out the string without their most famous fan in Spike Lee. And that's not really anything to get into. That's between him and Dolan. And it just even gives you more of the reason why players will not play for the Knicks because of that owner. Now, he may have the deepest pockets in the league. He may be a guy that wants to win, and certainly you could see that considering the other team that plays in the building, the Rangers, and how they've performed here, especially this year and all the draft capital and what they've done to somewhat bottom out and try to rebuild. But with the Knicks, it's just a disgrace. It's an absolute atrocity as to what has taken place over at the Garden as far as the basketball side of things. So there's that, and then the... Other couple of things, just to throw LeBron back in the mix, which is also more sports and worldwide spread when it comes to that. Where the this whole coronavirus thing, and you've seen it with certain soccer leagues. There's even talk about the Olympics now. Who knows if that's going to be put on hold? Uh, I would think that right now, the IOC, I'm sure they're just... The Kale Caesar salad is not going down well, knowing that they still have some time. Because there is certainly no end in sight when it comes to this thing because it has just run rampant throughout the world when it comes to coronavirus. But the reason why I bring it up is because LeBron had a comment the other day about whether or not that the NHL is actually contemplated on playing these games without fans in the building. And is could it be a possibility that the NBA, these rest of the regular season games, depending on how affected the country gets when it comes to this, not having all these you know big crowds at in one building and how fast this thing could spread, where LeBron came out and says, I'm not going to play. And he plays for the fans. And he's, he's right about that because that's and good for him. He's one of the very few players that says that. But the one thing I think about is that, okay, well, if they're ready to tip off game one of the postseason and there are no fans in the building, does that mean you're going to sit at home and you're not going to play? You're going to turn your back on your team? Now, I get that LeBron's coming from a place of passion, and I'm not trying to be an apologist for him by any stretch. But at the same time, I'm sure, not to say he's going to take that back, but I'm sure that once the playoffs begin and it's all about winning that trophy, I'm sure he's going to say whether there's zero fans in the building or just the ushers or whatever it may be. Security, who knows? And why would security be there if there no, there's nobody in the building? But my point is, is that once these games are for an NBA title, I'm sure number 23 is going to be right there off to the side or certainly not at the tip to get this thing rolling for him to try to get that fourth NBA championship and the first championship for the Lakers in almost a decade. So that's my take on that. And that's an interesting thing with this whole coronavirus thing. The NHL now is banning, and I'll get to them in a minute, but the NHL has now closed a locker room to the media because of this. 
that's a whole other podcast we could talk about when it comes to this thing because it is obviously just taking the world by storm with this virus. And we just hope that this, just like some of the others that have happened over the years, that it just literally dies. And we're not talking about the people that are out there. We're not talking about the population. We're talking about the virus. Because this thing is certainly taking a life of its own and is just taking too many lives in the process in a short amount of time. Other than that, that's what we have in the NBA. And it's pretty much, when you look at the standings, and I'll just quickly go through it, the only difference here this week to last is the Raptors having some separation here from the Celtics. They now have a three-game lead between the two and the three seeds, and that could be critical when it comes to the second round as to who gets home court. The Celtics actually could be in jeopardy of going down to the 4-5 slot because they're just a game and a half ahead of the Heat in the East. <clears throat> excuse me, followed by Indiana, the Sixers, and then you have the Nets in Orlando. So the Brooklyn and Orlando will fight it out for the 7th and 8th, which is no shock there. You can forget about everybody else as the Wizards are now 5.5 back of the Magic. And then out West, the Clippers have leapfrogged the Nuggets uh, as they're a game ahead for the 2-3 seed, similar to the Celtics and Raptors. That's going to be a critical series for home court because chances are those two teams may play the Lakers for a conference final. Then you follow that up with uh, Utah and OKC. OKC had a big one in Boston yesterday. And the Celtics have uh, been reeling here a little bit of late. But the Thunder now just a half game ahead of the Rockets. And maybe that's a better thing for the Rockets only because if you have a 4-5 seed, that means you're going to play the Lakers the second round. Now again, between OKC, Houston, and Dallas, they're all separated by a game and a half. So that could change from week to week. And then you have Memphis there at the bottom at 532 and 32. And I know everybody's on the New Orleans Pelican watch. And now they're four games back. So they inched as close as two and a half. And now they've dropped back despite the fact that they've won the last two. But if the Pelicans are going to make a push, they're going to have to start doing it now. And it remains to be seen. I know the league wants it. I'm sure a lot of the fans want to see Zion go up against LeBron. And chances are it would be a four, maybe five games. Maybe they'll have them break out a sweat for one of those games on the road, but we'll see if it uh, the Grizzlies will be able to stave off the Pelicans as far as that uh, final seed in the Western Conference. And then one last thing, Steph Curry's back in the mix, although he missed the game on Saturday night with an illness. After being out of lineup for 58 games with a broken hand, at least we could see some of these Golden State games to have some sort of firepower or at least some star power because with the Warriors being on the national schedule a million times this year and I, I please who wants to see Golden State at this point but at least have Steph Curry there there'll at least be somebody that you could bring your eyeballs to the sets to watch because a lot of these games as you've seen all year the Warriors have been the worst team in the league and rightfully so considering the amount of manpower that they've lost this year between their two best players and of course with Kevin Durant going to Brooklyn now as we look at the college basketball landscape this has been not just unpredictable, as we all know, but it has been one of the more weirder college basketball seasons that you could ever conjure up or even ever imagine. Because when you date back to, what is it, college basketball now starts like two weeks before Thanksgiving. It used to be that Thanksgiving weekend was the first few days to usher in the college basketball year. But between the second week of November to New Year's Day, you had seven different teams ranked as your top team in the nation. And then from January 1st to what seemed, I would say, if not mid-February, maybe President's Day, it was status quo. Yeah, you had some teams lose here and there, but it was Kansas, Gonzaga, San Diego State, Baylor. And then the last three weeks, it has just been like a dice roll. It's a game of craps. To where you had San Diego State, which is the big story of this past week, because they lose in the conference final, the Mountain West, to Utah State. So Utah State punches their ticket to the big dance next week. And we'll we'll see San Diego State there. But the big thing about them, despite the fact that they now have two losses, does that mean that they're going to lose out on a one seed in whichever bracket that they're going to start next Thursday afternoon? Or maybe even evening. Or it could be Friday for that matter, obviously. So between San Diego State falling last week and then Baylor losing to West Virginia, and Baylor has certainly hit the skids ever since they lost to Kansas there a couple Sundays ago. 
you got to wonder whether or not, and you would think Baylor, and even San Diego State for that matter, but one of those teams, those top five teams, they're going to have a two seed and not be able to represent their region with a one seed. We know Kansas is a lock. They're going to be a lock one. You would think Gonzaga two. Dayton, I mean, listen, how could you not put Dayton there considering the way they've played? And to me, it's pretty much going to be a coin flip between Baylor and San Diego State. Now, I know San Diego State has two losses and Baylor now has four losses, so people are going to look at it from those parts of the country to say, well, wait a second, San Diego State should get the other one seed, and then the people down in Waco, Texas are going to say, no, 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 Baylor should be the team that gets a number one ranking in whatever bracket. We're all going to find that out in six days because now that championship week is here, we'll certainly be able to see how this all unfolds and plays out. But with all these teams losing, you know, Kentucky losing early in the week to Tennessee, where Kyle Perry said they got manhandled. And even though right now they're currently sixth in the nation, they'll probably move up a little bit, maybe just one spot, but they're not going to get, they'll be a two seed somewhere. You know, some of the other games you had, Seton Hall losing to Villanova. You know, Seton Hall's had a phenomenal season, but now at the Big East, Rolls here in a couple of days. Will they be able to run the table? Now, chances are they're not going to get a one seed, of course, but uh, will they be able to run the table to get a two seed in one of these regions? Villanova, I know a lot of people are going to look at the pedigree of a Jay Wright. Same for them. If they roll through the Big East, how much of a factor in whatever region they're going to be in? And, you know, Rutgers has certainly played well. They have a 21 season. They're going to be in the dance. Team that's right in the backyard here. As the other day, who did they beat? Was it Maryland? So you're going to have a lot of interesting subplots here, especially locally with the Big East and obviously with Rutgers and then obviously nationally with some of the teams that we spoke about. But until we get on the air next Monday and we dissect it all and break down the regions, maybe who got screwed in which region, so on and so forth, uh, it's going to be a wild week. And you could pretty much look at March Madness as starting today because with teams looking to win not only just their tournaments and some of the smaller schools, the at-large schools, etc. And we all know about the big schools, whether it's the ACC, the Big 12, Big 10, etc. Now we're going to pretty much get the appetizer to March Madness as we lead into the weekend, Selection Sunday, and then obviously next Tuesday when they tip for real. And I guess you got to include the those playing games. Uh, I know I don't want to discount them. It's Tuesday and Wednesday now that I think about it. Because obviously the teams that play Tuesday, they will play on Thursday, and the teams that play Wednesday will play on Friday. But the college basketball season now will be in full effect. And even though it's been interesting over the last few weeks with how these teams have certainly played and how some of the top teams have fallen a couple of pegs down, whether it is Baylor for the most part, but they've been the one team that has certainly shown a few warts here. And we'll see how much of a factor that they'll be come 10 days from now. But now we can honestly say to kind of get the fine tune, so to speak, of the college basketball season to kind of look and see throughout the land which teams are going to rise here, which are going to be on the bubble, which teams are looks like they could be on a Cinderella carpet ride. I mean, all that it pretty much starts to take shape now. So as much as I haven't really followed the college basketball season up until the last few weeks, I'll certainly get into it. I know it's going to be hard. There's a zillion games everywhere, but you know I'll have my finger on the pulse, and it'll be interesting to dissect it all next week as we start to roll into now the middle, the Ides of March, and then, of course, closer to everything that's going to take place over the course of the next few weeks. Not even just the March Madness, but baseball, and then into April, which to me is the best sports month of the year, but of course I'll get to that as we get into the latter part of the month and certainly into April. Okay, now on to the ice in the NHL, and the two big storylines of the week have happened in the Eastern Conference, and in particular, the Metropolitan Division, because you have the Flyers, who have certainly been playing very well, but now to the point where they've won nine in a row and have now tied the Washington Capitals for first place with identical records, 41-20-7. The Flyers have certainly just been phenomenal throughout this stretch run. They even lost James Van Riemsdyk. He's going to be out, what is it, four to six weeks, I believe it is. But the Flyers not only have been on this roll to the point where they could certainly threaten the Capitals for the top spot in the Metropolitan and certainly get the home ice there, but the other story is the Carolina Hurricanes. 
And the Hurricanes, as I saw them on Saturday against the Islanders, as they pulled out an overtime win, the Hurricanes, just like last year, as you remember, storming through the postseason, even sweeping the Islanders in the process before losing to the Bruins and the conference final. But the Panthers are certainly peaking at the right time, and you wonder if this is going to be a stretch where Carolina is going to look to take off here. Uh, even Columbus, you know, for some of the injuries that they've had, and they've certainly have struggled here down a stretch, but to the tune where they have the top wild card spot in the East. But now Carolina, who's just two points behind them, and they have more victories and three games in hand. So with Carolina on this particular role, you wonder, have they peaked here? We've talked about this time and time again. Look at the Penguins when they went through that stretch without Crosby and then even with Crosby back. Although they're still in good position and they're third in the Metropolitan Division, but they have not played as well. In fact, they've lost eight of the last ten. But you wonder if Carolina, if this is going to be enough momentum to not only put them in a position to make a wild card, but also stay there because when you look at the rest of the wild card standings, now the Islanders, they have hit, I don't want to say rock bottom, but they've lost six in a row. They've played terrible here. And now they go out west and they have a brutal road trip. And this is going to be their season, if you ask me. They go to Western Canada to play Edmonton, Vancouver, and Calgary. And then they have to go to Pittsburgh before coming home to play Carolina. So this five-game stretch that they have upcoming here is going to be their season. Because if they don't righten the ship here, this season for everything and everything how it started. And what they've done and... Everything that they built up to, I would say, to about three weeks ago or even two weeks ago with the trade deadline, bringing in Peugeot from Ottawa, uh, this is going to be uh, this is going to be a lost season for them. And it's going to be bad because last week I talked about the combination of the coach and the GM, or in this case, the vice president of operations, Lou Lamorello, will there possibly be an axe to grind. Now, you wouldn't think with the ownership of the Islanders they're going to do that, but this is a, certainly would raise your eyebrows to think that this team who has played well, and let's say they even overachieved, but now for them to start to wane and fall out of this playoff race, especially with this West Coast trip coming up and then having to face the Penguins and Carolina, two teams that are ahead of them in the standings, this is going to be a tall order for them to come back home with not only a winning road trip, but just to get themselves or stay in this race. Now, I'm not trying to say that they're out of this race by any stretch because they are tied with Carolina, but they do have the tiebreaker against them. They have more wins, and they've played the same amount of games. But then also the Rangers, you can't discount, considering they're just three points behind both the Islanders and the Hurricanes for that final wildcard spot in the East. And it's interesting. Weeks ago, I'm talking about the West and how that's going to be the wild, wild West and all these teams, especially out in the Pacific. But now... You're going to have a fight to the finish here in the East with these teams, with the way Carolina's played, even Columbus, with all the injuries that they've had on their team, and with the Islanders falling flat on their face, and now with the Rangers, who have been teetering. Now, they're still in the race. You can't forego them as a team that's not going to make it, and even the Florida Panthers, if you want to throw them in as well, because they have 76 points too. But uh, it's going to be fascinating to see how this is going to shake out, especially from a local standpoint, because uh, this would be just a brutal way to end their season if the Islanders do not make the postseason. And as it is, chances are if they do make it, they are certainly not going to be picked to get out of their round. And it looks like they'll probably play the Bruins in the first round if they do have the second wild card. But again, we still have less than a month to go. What is it? The first weekend of April is generally the last weekend of the regular season. And with most teams having anywhere between 12 to 15 games to go, It certainly looks like these next four weeks, it's going to be uh, do or die for this Islander team and even for the Rangers for that matter. But the Rangers, they're trending northward, even if they don't make it to the postseason. But the Islanders right now, they're certainly right now on the bubble and teetering of falling out of this playoff race. Out west, the Blues and Avalanche are certainly going at it tooth and nail for the Central for to get the top spot there as far as the west is concerned. And Dallas has hit the skids and losing five in a row, so you figure it's going to be a two-team race to see who gets the uh, number one seed out, not only just in the division, but of course for the Western Conference. For the Pacific, the Golden Knights who beat Calgary and put a little distance between them, but although Edmonton is still there in between with 82 points, but the Golden Knights have certainly done a great job. And remember, Vegas fired their coach there, Gerard Gallant, just a few weeks ago, and that's going to be a theme because when you look at the wild card stretch, Look at the Minnesota Wild. Remember, they fired Bruce Boudreaux after going through a stretch where they won 7 of 10 games. 
And now, and they were on the outside looking in at that time. And now, they have the top wild card spot in the Western Conference. So with them, Vancouver just being a point behind, and then you do have Nashville, Winnipeg, also tied at seventy six points with Vancouver, but they have the tiebreaker because they have the most wins. And then you have Arizona with 74, and that pretty much cuts it off because then you have Chicago, Anaheim, and San Jose, but they're long gone. So the West is still wild, and it looks like as if not as maybe as crazy as the East, but when you do have two wild card spots and they're all separated by five teams by three points, that is certainly going to be a Royal Rumble to the finish as well. So the NHL, and that's the NHL. And we get that baseball's trying to get this same format. They want to have a lot of chaos and a lot of crazy. And it seems the year in and year out, unlike the other sports, the NHL always comes down to those last few games. You know, you really get that in the NBA. And although we could look at before with Oklahoma City, Houston, as we broke down those standings, and Dallas, how they are separated by a game and a half, but it's only three spots, and they're going to make the postseason. It's very rare that you look at the bottom of a bracket or the bottom of the conference as far as the top eight seeds are concerned, and you have, oh, geez, look at this team. They're that close. Or you have four teams separated by two games for only one playoff spot. Only in the NHL you see that. You don't see that in the NBA. You don't see that. Football, you do see that with the wild cards. That could be a jumbled mess. But that's the one thing about the NHL. It's one of those things from one week to the next. It just turns like a dime. Look at the Flyers. Carolina, this is, those are just two examples. And as far as anything else in the ice of concern, I know the big game last week, and it was just amazing to see how the Rangers, with everything that they've are trying to make that playoff push, that uh, Mika Zibanejad had that five-goal game against the Capitals, one of the better games of the year, 6-5 in overtime, against Ovechkin, who had two goals. And we talked about Ovechkin, of course, on the podcast last week. But the uh, that was just a phenomenal game. If you're able to uh, tune into that. And then one NHL sad note. Henri Richard, the longtime Montreal Canadian brother of, of course, the one Maurice Rocket Richard, passed away at the age of 84. And one thing I didn't know about uh, Henri Richard, now he wasn't as good as his brother. Now he's a Hall of Famer, he's an all-time great. Definitely no question about it. But I didn't realize that he had won 11 Stanley Cups. Meaning that he has as many rings as the one Bill Russell. And everybody looks at Bill Russell as the greatest winner in, obviously, American sport, because we all know Montreal, north of the border, Canada. But he is their equivalent. Now, I'm not going to sit here to say that Henri Richard is to his sport the way Bill Russell is to the NBA. Because when you look at the Mount Rushmore of NBA, Bill Russell has to be up there. Where Henri Richard, chances are he's not, because his brother was the better player. But that's not to say he was chopped liver himself. And for him to have 11 Stanley Cups in his back pocket just goes to show you he played not only on great teams, but was also a great player himself. But he died at the age of 84. So just some sad news there, but it was amazing. I didn't realize he won that many Cups. So thoughts, prayers, condolences go out to the Richard family. All right, a couple of quickies on baseball and then the NFL slash XFL before we get to the hero and zero of the week. As far as the baseball is concerned, not much has happened over the last week unless your name is Aaron Judge, where I know the Yankee fan has to be pulling their hair out of their heads and wondering what the heck is going on with this new medical staff because, as we all know, last year, and I've beat this as a, you know, beat it like a drum, the Yankees and all the injuries that have ravaged their team last year now seems to be bleeding into 2020, no pun intended. But now with Judge not being able to play or not being able to do any type of baseball activities for two weeks because he has a fractured rib, which looked like it was the diving catch in last September in a game. Uh, I forgot it was against, but he I believe it was the Angels. And how that rib had affected him a little bit throughout the rest of the year into the postseason, and then now all offseason to the point where he's not going to do anything for two weeks and going to evaluate after that. He's not going to make it to Baltimore for opening day, and that goes the same for Giancarlo Stanton. That goes the same for Luis Severino. That goes for also James Paxton. Uh, The list goes on and on, and even Gary Sanchez has been resting a sore back. So that's something to keep an eye on. But besides that, and the only other thing that I have as far as baseball is concerned, and not to bring this up and not to kind of start with this, but 
what is Major League Baseball waiting? And I get they have to do a thorough investigation. They can't rush this. They got to make sure that they got to look under every rock, under every stone, make sure that they've gone into every file cabinet, every everything. I get it. When is there going to be a resolution on the 2018 Red Sox to the point if there need to be any suspensions, if there needs to be any type of punishment handed down, are they waiting for opening day to announce this? Or are they waiting for opening week to announce this? To me, if they don't get this thing solved by next Monday or Tuesday, because remember, this coming Thursday, two weeks from then, is going to be the start of the baseball season. And with everything that's happened this offseason with the whole Astros sign-stealing scandal, I don't think that the powers that be of Major League Baseball want another headache going into this season, having to sort out this whole Red Sox nonsense and as to who's going to be suspended, who's going to be punished, whatever it may be. And I don't know how long this is going to be. And of course, I don't know how long an investigation like this takes. I know that they it can't be half-assed. It has to be thorough. We get that. But considering when news broke, what was that, in January, when the suspensions were handed down to A.J. Hinch and Jeff Lunau, the former Astros manager and GM respectively, you would think at that point they had to pedal to the metal as far as to get this Red Sox investigation underway because it looks like they're going to drag this into the regular season. And I don't think it's going to be as harsh as what the Astros faced. Now, as it is, Alex Cora doesn't have a job. And chances are you would think that he's probably going to get suspended for a year. The GM, Dave Dombrowski, he's not even in baseball right now. So we get that there's not going to be any type of major penalty that may come down the road here when it comes to the Red Sox. Or if there was any player involvement. And again, you know the player's going to be immune to this. Or who knows if there's a coach on the staff where right now Ron Renicky is still your interim manager. And remember, he was on that staff in 2018. But when, when are they going to come down with a final resolution on this? Are they going to wait till opening day? To have this other cloud or another black eye start their 2020 season? I just don't get it. I mean, and again, I don't know how long these investigations take. I understand it's not going to take a week. It's not going to take two weeks. But it's been a few months already or a couple of months. If news broke in the Astros in January, and here we are approaching the middle of March, uh, can we get an answer here, please? And then you had uh, Christian Yelich sign the big deal, 7 for 188, which tacks on to his last two years on his deal. So pretty much it'll be 9 for 215 for him. So he's going nowhere as the Brewers have their perennial MVP in the fold. Yoan Moncada signs 5 for 70 for the White Sox. And, of course, Moncada was the big piece in the Chris Sale deal and speaking of which another big piece in that deal will actually debut I believe on Thursday which is Michael Kopech a guy who threw 100 miles an hour was a top pitching prospect for the Red Sox who came over in that Chris Sale deal he'll make his debut on Thursday and this is of course after Tommy John so I'm sure a lot of baseball will be interested to see how he performs and the White Sox they're going to be a sexy pick as far as over-unders are concerned I don't even know what the over-under numbers are I haven't checked I haven't looked and we all know my over-under track record as of recent note, has been awful. And I picked them last year, not even as an over and under, but just as an improved team because of the young talent. And now there's going to even be more expectations considering a lot of the offseason moves that they made. So the White Sox are certainly going to be a team a lot of people will look at as maybe being a sexy, trendy, or even a sleeper pick. And uh, yeah, do I even get into the players being mic'd up in these games? I know ESPN has done that, and it's been fun, but... After that, it's, it's going to end. There's no way they're going to be mic'd up during a regular season game. But it, it is kind of cool to hear Pete Alonzo or who else did they have there. The Pete Alonzo is the one I noticed the more the most because I'm a Met fan, of course. And it is has been kind of cool, but these games mean nothing. If it's the All-Star game, I can see them doing it then as they've done in the past. But, yeah, I don't need to see this on a day-in, day-out basis if ESPN is going to try to reinvent the wheel here and have players mic'd up, or even if it's a guy that's on the bench, just to get his reaction. Does anybody really care about that? I I sure don't. I mean, I never really paid in any mind prior to, and even though it's been brought to the world's attention now here during the exhibition season, am I going to start doing somersaults and cartwheels to pine and beg and plead to have this in the regular season? Uh, I think not. So, But uh, that's what you have with the baseball. And to wrap up here with the football, 
Now, the players have until 11.59 p.m., and this is all the players. This isn't the player reps for each team. This isn't DeMora uh, Smith, the head of the players' union for the NFL. This is across the board when it comes to the new CBA being proposed by the owners, which, of course, has been out there. So now let's see what the vote's going to be on whether or not the players are going to vote for a 17-game season. They're going to vote for the three preseason games. Also, the practices are going to be scaled back a little bit as far as in pads, the weather, during training camp. Those are the main highlights there. But what's come out this over the last couple of days, and it hasn't really been bandied about in sports, is there have been some owners. Of course, they didn't put their name attached to it, but there have been some owners that have been or are hoping that the players reject this because they believe that they can negotiate a better deal a la 18-game season, hint, hint. <clears throat> and they want to not only increase the games to 18, but also you know keep some of the other things intact that I mentioned, but also I'm sure with some of the revenue as it is, there's not going to be a cap on that 17th game as far as salary is concerned because of, you know safety and things of that nature. So they don't want to put that uh, salary cap on that last game. And then it also goes for playoff shares to expand the playoffs, et cetera. I didn't mention that earlier. But if that was the case, if some of these owners, and I guess there's some, but you would think on a whole, why didn't the owners just try to shoot for 18? And I'm sure they probably thought deep down inside that they were going to get shot down. Okay, fine. But then you come back to the table to say, all right, how about 17 games? And then you get the 17-game season and everything else that I mentioned previously. It's almost as if you're going to, not necessarily a job interview, but let's just say you're at your job for a couple years and you're about to get a raise. And you go to your bosses to say, hey, I want a 15% increase. And your bosses may say, whoa, 15%? That's insane. But really what you're hoping to get is 7%. So of course you're going to go high and you get somewhere in the middle. And you would think that's what the owners probably should have done if that's what they really wanted. And I'm sure the owners want 18 games and two games as far as the preseason is concerned. And we get that the players are going to have to get even that much more of that revenue for those two games, etc. But as much as getting those extra two games, I don't understand, even if it was just five of the owners, five of the 32, why wasn't it discussed all the way around where, as we all know, the owners, they, they're not even going to spend it. Their great-great-great-grandkids aren't going to spend this money. I mean, the NFL and these teams print money. And these fans flock to these stadiums, and even with all the technology the way it is, but they, the NFL, they, they can't even burn this money. So you would think, and surprisingly, that they wouldn't propose the 18-game season. What, for fear that the players are just going to rip it up and throw it in the trash? Okay, we could get that, but then that's when you come back, okay, how about 17 games? So I find it strange that some of these owners looked at the 17-game season really thinking that, oh, geez, you know, I hope that they turn this down so then we could come back with 18 games. What makes you think that the players are, if they do reject this proposal, what makes you think they're going to accept the 18-game season? if a majority of the players don't even want to deal with the 17-game season. So you figure, hey, go high, and then you come in down to where everybody's happy with the 17 games, and you still get the one extra game, etc. Now, Ryan Fitzpatrick, the Dolphin quarterback, came out and said that he was in favor of it. He's like, I like it. I'm all for it. Let's go. And then the flip side of that is one Aaron Rodgers, and I think he's absolutely right about this. He's unsure if the players are even really looking at the CBA. You know, it's almost as looking if you guys own, I'm sure a lot of people own iPhones, and but we all know that when you have to agree to terms and you look at the 5,000 paragraphs, it seems, is everybody really reading that? No. Everybody just scrolls to the bottom, clicks accept, and moves on. Am I right? And to me, that's what you have here with the players. And I can see Aaron Rodgers, based on that statement, by saying, are the players really reading this? Are they really looking through every sentence, absorbing every little detail of this proposal? Probably not. And it'd be a shame if that's the case. But you got to wonder how many of these players are doing that. How many players are just saying, ah, screw it. You know what, let me just hit accept and away we go and that's it. So Thursday at 11.59, so come Friday, we'll get word on whether the players have accepted this. If not, who knows? It could be the beginning of Armageddon. Because what makes you think that even with some of these owners, they want an 18-game season? If the players reject a 17-game season? I mean, 
And then you also have a couple of signings here. Austin Eckler re-ups with the L.A. Chargers. Four years, $24 million. And then Josh Norman, the former Carolina Panther, Washington Redskins, signs a one-year deal with the Buffalo Bills. Now, Norman has not been the same player, but him being a second banana to a Tredavious White in that secondary is certainly a formidable one. So Buffalo looking to shore up their secondary with two big guys, two big corners. And it looks like they've certainly done that there. And even just for a one-year deal for one Josh Norman. And the XFL real quick. Now, Saturday I'll be out in MetLife because the Houston Roughnecks, for those who are paying attention, are 5-0. and They're the only undefeated team in the XFL. And they'll go up against the Guardians on Saturday, 2 p.m., which will be interesting from this regard because the Guardians did win a game yesterday against the – or I should say on Saturday. My apologies against Dallas. Their first road victory. So now they're going to come home. There may be some juice in the building. The weather has actually gotten – a little bit warmer. It's probably going to be in the 50s. It may be rainy, though, but uh, it certainly could be a decent turnout considering the first game they only had 17,000. Well, I should say not only, but uh, surprisingly had 17,000. And then the second game, they only had 12,000. So let's see if the people will come out to see an undefeated Houston roughneck team go up against a Guardian team and a team that's all tied for first place in the Eastern Division. With D.C. and Seattle, the Vipers are going to be long gone. I think they're 1-4. So if you're a Guardian fan or certainly an XFL fan looking to see if a team could continue to go undefeated, well, they'll be right in your backyard here in New York. And I'll get a chance to see them up close and personal. So next week you'll get a little take on the Roughnecks being the best team here in the first season of the XFL or the reincarnate of the XFL. And I'll be certainly interested to not only tune in but to – dissect how good this team is all right now we'll do it for this episode of the podcast my good people but before we say goodbye my hero and zero of the week and this is a belated hero of the week and i apologize i should have said this last week my hero of the week is a one maria sharapova we all know sharapova as being the tennis prodigy who came into the sport i believe at the age of 14 she had a very good career maybe not the great career that a lot of people thought would pan out for her, but she did win five Grand Slams. She won two at the French and one at the other tournaments, so she does have a career Grand Slam. Good for her. We all know she had their battles with Serena Williams over the years, as that was a rivalry, and we all know Serena's been at the pinnacle of her sport for decades here. But as far as Sharapova is concerned, she goes out into the sunset, off to the sunset, I should say, 15-year career. Uh, Not an all-time great, but obviously certainly did have a very solid and if not spectacular career. So kudos to her as she goes on to the next stage of her life. So my hero of the week, Maria Sharapova. And my zero of the week, sadly, goes to Quinnen Williams, the New York Jet defensive tackle, who a lot of people thought was the best defensive player in the draft. He was taken, as you saw, third overall. A lot of people thought he was going to be the next mean Joe Green, but he's been far from it here in his rookie season. So what happens? He allegedly carries a gun into LaGuardia Airport and gets arrested. Just a bad optic on his part. We understand that in Alabama, where he's from, that he has a license to carry a firearm. But in the state of New York, we all know that's not the case. Just ask Plexico Burris in reference to that. So, Quinton Williams, you should have known better. Why did you have a pistol in your bag? Or why were you carrying it in an airport? It goes beyond me. So, you, my guy, are my zero of the week. And if you've liked this podcast, if you love this podcast, if you've listened for weeks on end, and if you haven't subscribed, shame on you people. No. In all seriousness, I do hope you have subscribed. And if you haven't, literally, it takes seconds to do so, people. All you have to do is go on your smartphone or your tablet, online, whatever it may be. All you have to do is just go to your podcast app and hit that. If you're on an iPhone, just type in the J Reels podcast. You'll see the podcast pop up. All you have to do is just hit subscribe and then scroll down below. Give me a rating, whatever it is, five stars, four stars, whatever it may be. And also post a review, just a couple of sentences on this podcast. I would greatly appreciate it. And you could do that on any of those podcast platforms that you sign up to, whether it's Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, etc. What that does, people, as I've said time and time again, it's only going to increase the visibility of this podcast. As we all know, there are so many podcasts out there. But in turn... 
generate interest from those outside who don't know about this podcast to bring on as guests. So whether that means the former athlete, current athlete possibly, the sports writer, blogger, broadcaster, etc. You name it. I'm trying to get those people on here. And as we get close to the baseball regular season, I'm hoping to get someone to handicap the MLB season as well as a belated guest for my second anniversary show, which was last week. And with your help, people, uh, it's not a big favor to ask. Uh, I would greatly appreciate it if you do so. And on wherever you get your podcast, if you could uh, just rate, review, and more importantly, subscribe, you'll be able to get the podcast front and center once this is posted so you don't have to worry about digging for it, whether it's on my website at jreels.com or, or wherever you get your podcast. It'll be right there waiting for you, ready to hit play, and away you go. As far as where to contact me on social media, it's very simple, people. You could do so as follows. Leave a question, comment, criticism, praise, whatever it may be. J Reels, do this, change this, whatever it is. I'm open to listen to it. Does that mean I'm going to agree with it? That remains to be seen. But do so on any of these following platforms. Instagram, J Reels. Also, the J Reels podcast on Instagram where I'm posting nothing but about the show, sports, my takes on what's happening. So definitely Follow me on those two platforms as well as Twitter, J Reels One, just a number, the J Reels Podcast on my Facebook fan page, and the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com if you want to send me an email. Again, I'm open to it, people. I'll respond. I usually do respond on any of those platforms, so please do so. And then lastly, if you want to contribute to the podcast, whether it's production, equipment, some future marketing, anything, that would be on my Patreon page. That's www.patreon. That's P as in Peter. A, T is in Tom, R-E-O-N is in Nancy, dot com, slash the J Reels Podcast. Whatever you may contribute, it goes without saying how much I'll be forever grateful and thankful for that, as well as the aforementioned subscribing, rating, and reviewing this podcast, because as we all know, I love to come here each and every week, and hopefully twice a week once I get that guest, or the consistent amount of guests here on this podcast, because I want to bring you everything that's happening on the world of the diamond, the world of the ice, the world of the gridiron, the world of the hardwood, the golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are. The j Rose Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect to not only entertain, not only inform, but also to deliver credible sports analysis unlike any other here on this podcast platform. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the j Rose Podcast, on the flip, baby.